0: Mo Trap heavyweight Juice World is back with his new record, Death Race for Love. It is a gigantic 72-minute undertaking. We're talking about it. Also, uh, Mark Kozlek of Sunkill Moon fame has come through with a, another record from that project. I Also Want to Die in New Orleans where he... Dives into his personal life, into his past, into his politics, and a myriad of other things, and diatribes, and so on and so forth. The UK indie and alternative rock and sort of like indie dance rock outfit, Foles, is back with a brand new record. We're going to dive into that. Also, one of my favorite, uh, an artist that I find to be the most intriguing on the Sacred Bones label, at the moment, Spelling has a new record out, Maisie, Fly. It is very synthetic, witchy, strange, and eerie. You are going to want to hear about it. And uh, also a, an amazing, a great, a fantastic hip-hop record from Little Sim's Gray Area. Uh, easily my hip-hop record of the year. I'm calling it. You know, let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how the rest of this year pans out. But as of right now, I, I think this is going to be my hip-hop record of the year. If not, my album of the year. Uh, also going to be talking about the uh, the new Schoolboy Q track. We have a track review for that coming up, and also uh, a, a bit of a ramble and a rant about a poll that I did, an audience poll that I did uh, about how often you guys agree with me in my reviews. The results may be surprising. Uh, that is going to be it for this episode. Kick back, get ready. Here we go, ba bam. <laughs> and it's time for a review of the new Juice World record, Death Race for Love, with its amazing PlayStation game cover. This is a new record from Chicago rapper, singer, songwriter, Mr. Juice World, who through a pretty major hit last year, Lucid Dreams, has found himself at the cutting edge of this new emo trap wave, which is a style of music that sounds just as it is described. You have trap beats and aesthetics being fused with the melodramatic and heartbroken vocals, and lyricism of emo music. This is a huge sound at this point that I think could be the next big phase for hip-hop, as a lot of newer artists who are hitting right now do have verses that trend toward being vulnerable and even confessional. From more contemporary dudes like Trippy Red and even going as far back as Drake, who has been around forever at this point. But even though this sound is really popular right now, it's been a kind of tumultuous couple of years for it because of some major losses of huge voices within the scene. You're talking about XXX Tentacion and Little Peep. But as long as the audience continues to demand this stuff, this sound and style are probably not going anywhere anytime soon. And speaking of giving the audience what they want on this record, much of Juice World's writing here sounds like it was directly influenced by the popularity of his own past singles. The song Maze off this record literally sounds like Juice World copying over the entire Lucid Dreams formula onto this track, changing the beat, changing the sound a little bit, altering the flow very slightly. and and whipping the melody up, basically just recycling a lot of these used ideas and hoping to get another go-around out of them. There's also quite a bit of guitar sampling on this record, or maybe just synth patches that sound like guitar. Either way, more guitar presence. And I would say the influence that 2000's emo pop has had on Juice WRLD's very nasally vocals on this album has increased at least two or three-fold. A lot of Juice WRLD's singing and verses on these tracks varies between hilariously corny and profoundly depressing, typically falling on a healthy middle ground between those two. And even though there are a lot of listeners that might listen to what Juice WRLD does and instantly cringe, when he does it well and brings through a very catchy song, I, it, it, it actually speaks to me quite a bit. And honestly, despite his talent, I think Juice WRLD does continue to be underrated as a lyricist. Many forget his hour-long freestyle. I know there are quite a few songs on this thing that emphasize a very cute but depressing wordplay, like These Pills Are My Pro Tools, Still got logic, which is just one example of many, 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 many. Many lines on this album that reference Juice World's negative feelings and his heartbreak and his insecurities, uh driving him to popping pills, doing drugs. Even though Juice comes through with some very clever wordplay on a majority of these tracks the baseline themes that most of these songs revolve around are not that varied, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're making a record that is emotionally potent, is straightforward, hits hard, very catchy. But Death Race for Love is 72 minutes long and 22 tracks, which is something that going into this record I did not want to believe would be a problem because, you know, for the most part I do like what Juice World tries to do, I like what he represents. I thought maybe he'd pull through, maybe it would be hits on hits on hits, and maybe he would show audiences that he could kind of break his sound and style up, try some new stuff, take some risks, and succeed, but uh, that's only sort of the case on this record. There are some pretty good and amped tracks on this album where Juice does try to give audiences a bit of a break from a lot of the druggy and sad ballads on this record, but in the process of chasing after these more in-your-face sounds, there is kind of a loss of personality. The song Syphilis is like a distorted SoundCloud banger, which you can really hear Juice chasing after in the second half when he's attempting Ski Mask's kind of goofy, fast trip flows. The song On God invites young thug onto a beat that you would usually hear on a young thug album, a very glistening, pretty smooth trap beat, and Juice World ends up just sounding like a feature on his own song. I do appreciate Juice trying his best to break up the monotony of this very lengthy track list, but the redundancy on this album really does set in on the last leg. Not only in terms of a lot of these songs sounding the same, but Juice World kind of running out of song ideas too. The song 10 Feet features some pretty decent rapping that sounds a little vintage to my ears. It's got a good pace to it, but the song eventually trails off into this weird instrumental outro that doesn't really go anywhere. The tune on She's the One is so painfully sluggish I just can't wait for it to end. The song Rider thematically, I'm pretty sure Juice World has already explored this topic to death of finding or or having uh, a significant other that will like Ride For You is devoted to you. And on this entire record, I'm not sure if there's a more pointless song than Make Believe. A track whose instrumental is really tedious, completely cluttered, I hate the guitars in it. Melodically, Juice World isn't really doing much and the whole track brings no closure whatsoever to the entire record. The first portion of this album does have a few misses in it, but it hits a great stride. And there is a point toward the end of this record where it completely loses sight of its own flow. And ends up sounding like a jumbled pile of random songs that were maybe too clean to end up on the cutting room floor. but weren't really great enough to feature on the first half of this album. Makes me wonder if Juice WRLD really understands what exactly about his music appeals to people. Because if you truly had a sense of that, you wouldn't just be throwing anything that you made at the wall and hoping it would stick. Nor would you be literally copying over the equation for your previous hits and just trying to, like, redo them. Because instead of crafting a good coherent album, Juice WRLD has gone Culture 2 with it, and has just flooded fans with songs that he hopes turn out into an unexpected hit. These rappers are, like, dropping compilations masquerading as albums at this point. I do kind of respect that he didn't overload this album with features though. Even though I have an issue with how bloated and repetitive this album is, that's not to say there aren't highlights on here. The song Empty to my ears feels like Juice World 2.0. He's come back with essentially the same tricks, but they're kind of fine tuned so that he sounds even more depressing this time around. And over an incredibly glamorous and beautiful instrumental. Feeling empty, so goddamn empty. Also when he drops lines on. On this thing, like I Problem Solve with Styrofoam, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. The track Fast is another highlight for me, incredibly hooky, very mellow, and hits hard despite its very subtle presentation. Some of Juice's vocalizations, especially on the hook, kind of remind me of Post Malone. It does have that soft, chill, but catchy trap ballad Post Maloney type feel, I guess. There is the hilariously titled He Motions, whose Muddy Emotions hook is catchier than maybe I would like it to be, despite how cringy I think some of the lyrics are. The song Robert hands down is now my favorite Juice WRLD track, not only for its incredibly endearing and sad instrumental, but also Juice WRLD's heart-wrenching performance on this thing. Tell me put my heart! in the bag and nobody gets hurt. This chorus sounds like it was ripped straight out of like an old Fall Out Boy or Simple Plan album. This is like the purest embodiment of Emo Trap, period. The song Ring Ring is one of the few fusions of hip hop and pop punk that I think I've ever enjoyed. Juice World singing his heart out about not wanting to pick up the phone and just be alone. Clever actually stuns on this song with his feature, stands out as the best feature on the entire album in my opinion. His vocals are just so over-the-top and and immense emotionally, even though that Postmates line that he drops does kind of make me raise my eyebrow a little bit. It does. There's some great moments on here, but honestly, uh, Juice World waters the record down with a lot of songs that should have just ended up on a random friggin' mixtape dropped maybe several months after the release of this album. Because if you really wanted to boil this record down to its best and its finest moments, you would have to throw out at least a third of this LP. And that's sad, That's unfortunate. That sucks. Because at this point, I still think Juice is one of the more talented rappers, singers, and voices in the current hip-hop field. He does punch under his weight lyrically sometimes, because maybe he drops a lot of sad and sappy tracks that feature lyrics that fans of bars and braggadocia and just kind of macho attitudes in hip hop might not mess with. But you know, he has tracks like Out My Way that are incredibly good, equally good, as some of the best sad cuts on this record. And they feature exactly that badass, angry attitude. And they do it so well. So Juice WRLD does have some great singles on here and he does have some amazing detours where he tries something a little different, which would have provided some great variety on a shorter and more succinct album. But instead he kneecapped this thing. Essentially for the sake of some extra streams in the short term and that's it. I'm feeling a light to decent six on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new Sun Kill Moon album I Also Want to Die in New Orleans. This is the latest musical offering from increasingly prolific singer-songwriter Mr. Mark Kozalek, the main brain behind Sun Kill Moon. Before that, decades ago, he was the lead singer of the Red House Painters. Dude has been at it a long time at this point. And even as someone who has mostly been engrossed in the Kozalek narrative as of late, I have been having my own issues with processing Mark's latest material following every twist and turn in it. On average, Mark's songs and albums and stories and even his detours seem to get longer and longer, and sometimes even less coherent. I think he took a step a little too far in that direction on his last full-length album, This Is My Dinner, a record that was mostly a jet lag travelogue of his time spent touring in northern Europe, touching down on the cold, his weariness, the people he met, and even managed to work in a tribute to Partridge Family star David Cassidy on this track list, too. The pacing, the themes, and the mood of this album didn't really resonate with me, and I think all of that led to a lot of flabby and boring instrumentals on this record, too. Though, I do think there is a case to be made that Mark's latest material hinges so deeply on his own personal well-being at the time of the creation, the writing, the recording of that album. Really to the point where you could argue, well, if it sounds that way, it's because he was just feeling that way. Regardless of whether or not that's something I think adds to the appeal of a particular album, it is something I appreciate about Mark's work. Because when Mark is in his element, it does result in some great tracks, and I do think that is the case, I I also want to die in New Orleans. On this record, for the most part, Mark is back in America. He is home. And he is reflecting on his past, his present day, his music, his health. And, of course, on this album, Mark is not shy about diving into some politics and social issues, just as he has in the past. Whether it be gun violence or immigration and deportation. There's also an unexpected amount of goodwill toward animals on this record, too. Now, warning before you go into this album, Mark is still very much in a phase in his career career where his songs are, are not all that brief. The tracks on this record are huge, rambly diatribes where Mark narrates and internally monologues his way through all of these life experiences. It is not going to be for everybody, as evidenced by some of the fans that turned away from Mark going in this direction post the release of his modern classic Benji in 2014, because Mark has been on this less song-centric trajectory for a little while now. So if you're not in the mood for a 90-minute album of story songs spread out amongst a very scant seven tracks you may want to sit this one out. But for those of us who are interested in Mark's musical equivalent to journaling, uh, this is a pretty decent record. I do enjoy the extra instrumental muscle outside of the guitars and drums and bass that Mark works into this album. The background vocal harmonies are quite nice. The droning and harmonious saxes and horns all over this record uh, do add a lot of beauty. They allow Mark and his band to turn these 10, 15, 20 minute tracks into pretty dynamic experiences. Much better than some of the more one-note and repetitive instrumentals that I've heard him drop in the past. Not to mention that with this versatile instrumental palette, Mark and his band are able to create a variety of different musical backdrops for different sections and passages within each song. So you kind of get a song within a song within a song, or a story in a story in a story, especially given that most of the songs on this album have an overarching theme to them, even if they do divert into something else, and and believe me, they do. Usually it's through an unforeseen occurrence or a random, almost tangential reference, but uh, diversions happen. But still, on pretty much every track here, Mark does make sure to circle back around to the original idea and intention of the song, which is something that I I think some of his recent material has been lacking. On the opening track, Coyote, Mark reflects pretty heavily on this house that he purchased that he has a, a bit of buyer's remorse over. It's an old and secluded house. Mark's descriptions of this place are set to some very dreary guitars. He goes into describing the upkeep of this place, talking about the logs and the twigs and the squirrels, how all of these things once, to him, depicted a idyllic and woodsy and secluded location, and now uh, they've turned into something that he just despises. Mark is eventually sucked out of the focus of this housework by a uh, band performing on TV, by some very bad news on the television too, but eventually Mark is sucked back into this place where nature is impeding on his peace at his house with the uh, very potent and and strong smell of skunk. It is assumed at one point in the song that this skunk smell is in fact a gas leak, which leads to um, some craziness. If it was a sitcom, I guess you could say hilarity ensues because there are some pretty funny and shouted back and forths over this problem in the song. Could be a gas leak. Don't make any sparks! Don't make any sparks! Other hilarious proclamations that come later in the track is I'm not a skunk catcher! And I got taxes to work on! I don't want to talk about this skunk anymore! The song Day in America is Mark's lengthy and and I guess real-time reaction to the Parkland shooting at the time he places himself in the studio. Uh, recording some stuff, laying down tracks when he found out the news. So, of course, the news here and his reaction to that eventually gets distracted by this really funny and weird argument that goes down in the music studio about whether or not a piece of music that they're playing is a piece originally by jazz musician Bill Evans. Mark talks about his love of this piece, but then not knowing it may have been Bill Evans and why were they playing Bill Evans in the first place. And then off of a sudden reference to the restaurant chain Bobby. Evans because of its similarity in name to Bill Evans, Mark starts talking about bad personal associations with stuff, as he is said to have bad associations personally with Bob Evans, and then he goes into a bit of an old story about a friend who he may have lost connection with because she I guess got into a fight in front of him and basically got decked and knocked out and he assumes that this person associates that bad experience with him so that's why they've kind of like avoided contact or uh, uh, you know they they haven't uh, reconnected. Then Mark eventually touches back on the Florida story talking about how much he despises the shooter and how uh, uh, we should basically be taking out revenge on this person, torturing this person, doesn't matter. I mean the tone of how he describes it, it has a bit of a vigilante angle to it but the idea of I guess, capital torture, the optics of that, I'm I'm not exactly sure how how that may play out, as it seems like he's implying this is something like societally we should be (laughs) endorsing. You know, and there's just so much that could potentially go wrong there, especially since our our criminal justice system does have a bit of an issue with jailing and arresting the wrong people. And, you know, even if we do have a school shooter totally dead to rights and we know it's that person, it's still torture, there's most likely going to be some kind of unforeseen consequence attached to that, uh, maybe best to avoid it entirely. Still though, after this Mark goes into another diatribe about Republicans essentially blocking responsible gun control reform, basically just painting all of this as yet another day in America, this is just a norm for us. And just as an added personal comment, as I can divert in my own review just as Mark does in his songs, Uh, Our own toxicity on this issue seems to be (laughs) affecting other places as well, as uh, the day that I'm recording this video, uh, we just had a big school shooting in Brazil and we just had that uh, massive mosque shooting in New Zealand. A pretty sorry state of affairs that we're in the midst of, for sure. Also, the chilling outro on this track of society essentially circling around the drain and how our current state is evidence of us getting really close to that drain, uh, it's, um... It's, it hits hits a little too close to home, and <laughs> it gives me a lot of anxiety. Themes on this album of Mark looking skeptically at American exceptionalism continue on the track I'm Not Laughing At You, where Mark goes into a lot of digs and embarrassment at his home country when he is traveling abroad, touring, foreigners making fun of the toxic politics and culture of America, even teasing him over being fat and eating too much. The most stunning part of the track, though, in my opinion, is this cycling drumbeat, very, very good groovy, also these eerie, bending, kind of subtly wailing guitar lines, and the way this transitions so effectively into these rich, beautiful horn harmonies at at various points in the song. The shortest track here is L48, where Mark can be heard reminiscing over this old Gibson guitar model that he's uh, had a bit of a personal history with. And it's an okay cut from a narrative standpoint, but it does feel like uh, kind of a dwarf amongst all of these juggernauts on the entire record. Not to mention that, in my opinion, the instrumental is a little flat, and undefined and um, blobby the way all of the instrumentation kind of bleeds into itself I don't find to be uh, all that gratifying. Then we have the very interesting cows in the tracklist which as a vegan I I think did resonate with me quite a bit. I did give a little extra attention here I guess to Mark essentially paying tribute to bovines over a very dreary and steady and hypnotizing guitar riff. Mark goes into his feelings about cows and the past and the present how he thinks of them as sentient beings, harmless creatures Creatures and how they essentially painted the background of his existence while he lived in Ohio. Personally, I thought it was pretty great to hear a mantra passage on this track about cutting back on eating cows, though it's not much of a consolation when I don't know what he is replacing cows with. And stapled to this track is kind of a whiny rant about, oh, I'm so deep into my life at this point, I can't, like, make a change about what I eat. Which is not the only point on this record where Mark's lyrics do come off a bit limited or out of touch, where Mark is kind of ranting about, technology and social media and it's ruining everything. Stop all the downloading! However, Mark is not without self-awareness during these portions of the album, as his lyrics in the second half of this track do serve as a reminder that humans are habitual creatures and we are definitely products of our environment, which leads to Mark critically analyzing just how much of his life and the culture that he grew up in was just revolving around cows. Our consumption of them and their milk, their existence as an agricultural commodity. It shows how making a decision on this issue isn't just a matter of personal right and wrong, but also breaking a cycle of toxic cultural influence. There are more reflections on this album over the well-being of animals, like on the Bay of Coter, the closing track. Being over 20 minutes long, this track does touch down on a lot of different stuff, but the strongest emotional reactions seem to come from this a cat and her kittens, who he seems to have a lot of affection for, also the empathy and frustration that Mark feels after seeing someone hit a dog. And while there are a variety of guitar passages on this thing, some reversed sounds as well, constantly changing the sound palette in the background, it is a pretty dynamic track. But just as l 48 fell short earlier on this record, this song overreaches a little bit. And even though Mark does tie up the track pretty decently with the mentions of traveling to and from Montenegro, this song is not nearly as coherent in its narrative progressions as almost every other track here. Maybe it's Mark back in his like jet lagged mind state because of all the traveling. So parts of the story or connections within it seem like they're Erased or fast forwarded, which leaves the song Couch Potato, which is a pretty decent track on this record. On the first leg of it, Mark seems to be going through this issue that he has with deportation and immigration policy in the US, bringing up how many liberals and Democrats sort of overlooked all the deportations going on under the Obama administration. I mean, he was just as aggressive with that stuff as Bush was. And it is interesting to hear Mark's thoughts on this issue because he pretty much wrote a song about something connected to this, Gustavo, off of Perils from the Sea, and he actually references that track in this song. But later in the track, he says that he doesn't give Gustavo much thought these days, which I think comes down to the point of the title of this track, The Couch Potato, how the country is going to crap and Donald Trump is going to continue being president because of a lack of engagement, a lack of motivation, basically inaction. And as far as Mark's personal insights as to how we got here go... uh, they're okay. It's more based around people being dumb, which in a way is true, but he falls short of realizing that America's general lack of political literacy uh, is more of a feature than it is a bug, as it mostly serves the oligarchy that dictates our political process with dark money. And even not so dark money. Sometimes the loose ends that Mark doesn't tie up can work against him. Instrumentally great track though with its floaty guitar lines and bright bits of horn and woodwinds that work their way into the background makes the last leg of the track really euphoric. And overall I think New Orleans is a pretty good collection of tracks from Mark. It's long, yes, but fulfilling, enchanting, intriguing, emotionally raw, revealing, and really really unlike Anything else, as that's just pretty much Mark's style right now. I'm feeling a strong seven to a light eight on this thing. Transition, Transition into, into, the, into next the next review. review. Ah, <sighs> and it's time for a review of the new Foles record, part one. Everything I save will be lost. This is the latest full-length album from UK-based indie and dance rock outfit Foles. Now on their fifth record here, an album that is actually set to be connected to a sequel album dropping later this year. Now, despite my track record for loving pop and rock groups that uh, emphasize groove, Foles have never really resonated with me outside of their debut album, which featured a way more frantic, and noisy and mathematical sound than what the group is currently working with. In fact, every move the band has made since the release of that album has resulted in Blander and Blander Music. I'm not even that into the band's most well-received album to date, Total Life Forever, but it's been about four years since Foal's last album, I did enjoy a few tracks leading into the release of this LP, so... I don't know, maybe it's the dawn of a new era for the band. Maybe they'll bring some excitement back into the fold. And that is sort of the case here. The band does sound excited to be back, especially on a pretty short run of songs right after the first few cuts on the album. The song White Onions features a very prominent and plucky guitar melody that might not be all that memorable in my opinion, but it kind of makes up for that lack of memorability with some high-velocity drumming, cacophonous harmonies crashing into each other and with this roaring death-from-above-1979-style bass. The track also features some of the most thrilling and shouty vocals foals have laid down in years on one of their records. The song In Degrees is another highlight for me on this record, features this very bright shimmery synth loop that catches my ear immediately, captivating groove, fantastic rhythmic layers as the track progresses along, also a very shouty and exuberant group chorus that reminds me of Talking Heads quite a bit, like Fear of Music, I Zimbra era Talking Heads. I also like the progression of the song Syrups a lot too, which kicks off with this very reserved, clunky bass line that ticks along like clockwork. The band lays some cavernous vocals on top, it progressively gets a little washy, a little trippy. I'm just feeling the sound. Wash over me. And eventually the band explodes into this building groove that gets more and more intense and eventually reaches one of the biggest climaxes on the entire record. So there are some truly fantastic highlights on this album that in my opinion go toe-to-toe with some of the band's best contemporaries when they were putting out their best work. Whether it be Battles or or LCD Sound System. You could also list Block Party and I also want to mention Everything Everything. A newcomer, yes, but still a group who I think over the years has been greatly inspired. The work Foles have put in on their past albums. So while I do like this handful of cuts, the album unfortunately does not stay this consistently great throughout its entirety. Much of what surrounds these tracks to my ears just merely sounds okay or average. You have some pretty tepid openers on this record. The song Moonlight features a a lot of reverb and a lot of melodrama and for... I'm not gonna say nothing, but for but not much. The song Exits is similarly washed out and kind of toothless as well, despite its driving groove and punchy kick drums. It's got a lot of rhythm, it's got a lot of momentum to it, but the tune is pretty drab. Save for the prominent shouty and falsetto vocals, the track On the Luna sounds like an awkward transition from a progressive rock group of the 70s trying to adapt to the new wave wave of the 80s. The slick guitar riffs crashing into a wall all of glistening synths on this track it just doesn't really do all that much for me especially given how much these synths tend to swallow up a great deal of the mix i do appreciate the kind of in the moment organic and and what sounds like almost live sound the band has brought to this record but Uh, it has led to some recordings that uh, I I think are are a bit smudgy and and not in a complimentary way. Because on this track I really feel like I'm listening to pop rock, but without the finesse I think a pop group should have. Meanwhile, the track Cafe to Athens sounds like what you would get if you took Radiohead's King of Limbs and replaced a bulk of the tones on that record with uh, sounds that are a lot more plucky and percussive, like if you uh, had some kalimba or glockenspiel or xylophones all over the record, I mean, I guess it's alright. It's certainly better than Sunday, which sounds like a horrifically boring indie folk outfit going electric for the first time, only to deliver the least fulfilling song on the entire album. The band eventually hits a kind of fast and explosive finish, but the transition to get to that point isn't really that great, nor do I think the first leg makes a uh, the payoff worth it. The very blissful and droney closer is okay, it's a moody piano ballad, set against this very bright shimmery wall of synthetic sound. Again, it's fine, but I think it would be more gratifying if the lead-up to this point had, uh, been more interesting. Overall, I think this record was okay, it was listenable. Definitely the band's most worthwhile effort in quite some time, but I can't say I'm walking away from this record being all that excited for part two frankly. I'm feeling a light six on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Spelling album, Maisie Fly. This is the first full-length album on Sacred Bones records from singer, songwriter, producer Christia Cabral, aka Spelling, with three L's. And after listening to this LP, I am pretty impressed with how snugly she fits into the dark, atmospheric, and kind of eerie aesthetic of that label but also stands out as one of their most exciting musical prospects at the moment her sound and style are so eclectic i'm going to have a hard time compartmentalizing it in a succinct way because in my opinion the sound is not too unlike the cover as nearly everything that's presented on this album is delivered under a shroud of darkness and a bit of a soft focus but it's also a woman in what looks like a wedding dress and a cowboy hat laying in the hay with some cows and the cows are all like, hey, can I get that hay? The instrumentation on this record is kind of rudimentary, sounds very synthetic, very analog synth, although I'm not sure if it's true analog synths or anything like that, there are tons of ways to mimic that sound these days. The general vibe of these tracks and the performances on them are very minimal, are very still, mostly to make way for Cabral's very witchy and beckoning voice, as well as the chilly atmosphere that surrounds nearly every track here. The opening intro cut on this thing sounds like eerie synthesizer soundtracking what could be like a religious chant. To my ears, it would perfectly set the tone for something like Becoming Possessed. And building off of this, Cabral doesn't come out on this record with, like, all guns blazing or anything like that. If this album is blazing anything, it's some ritualistic candles and sage. Because this is a seance. The song Haunted Water features some very steady bass synths, pulsating along some very tight and sequenced beats. Feels like I'm slowly succumbing to the darkness or some kind of great spiritual power. Very strange, slightly goth and a little hair raising, despite me not having much hair. There's definitely some art pop going into this thing, some ethereal wave, a little bit of ambient pop and dream pop vibes too. The song Hard to Please is soaked in this really shimmery and sharp echo and delay, and also comes through with some of the loudest and boldest vocal harmonies on the entire record. The mix is also wet with all these sour and kind of off-putting synth leads. It's one of the shortest tracks here, but somehow comes back later on the album with a reprise that sounds very much unlike the original song. It's kind of like it grabs a few ideas from this first track earlier on the record and then flips those into a kind of dark, funky R&B blend, which actually stands out as one of the catchiest moments on the entire record. And of course, in embracing a more R&B-oriented sound, she does not forget those wavy, kind of dark, Halloween-ish synths. Then we have the song Golden Numbers, whose title references uh, the numbers of dates of new moons in the calendar year, which also ties in with a pretty clear romantic theme as well. Song-wise, this track is more theatrical uh, to my ears than it is tuneful, like we've suddenly transitioned into a pagan or goth high school musical number, which might sound a little silly or dismissive, but I enjoy the cut quite a bit, and I think it does add to this album's a kind of amateurish but authentically weird charm, and adds to this running list of themes like planets and stars and the sun and even extraterrestrial beings, which we will talk about a little bit later. The first leg of this LP features a lot of shorter cuts on this album, maybe not as fulfilling or as uh, built out as I would like them to be, but around the halfway point, it does start delivering more fulfilling cuts. The song Under the Sun is easily one of the best tunes on the entire record, in my opinion. Under the sun the track features a lovely sad chord progression these intoxicating melodies meanwhile the song real fun sounds like anything but real fun first track on the entire album to feature some prominent guitars and mostly sounds like a very dark and dank synth rock tune composed in a dungeon. The track also comes with a crushing climax of just distorted guitar and heavy synth bass and these John Carpenter style lead melodies. And I'm also kind of intrigued by the lyrics on this track which seem to be about aliens coming to Earth because they think our music is cool, like they're digging on Billie Jean and Billie Holiday. Honestly, I I hope the first thing aliens hear when they get here is, is this record. Meanwhile, the song Afterlife is very Kate Bushian with its lavish and somewhat primped and whimsical intro. Also, it's kind of prog rock inspired midpoint. Seems almost like she's pulling directly from records like Never Forever or The Dreaming. Also, this track is one of many on this album that slowly transitions into To completely unexpected territory as eventually Cabral finds herself singing against some very great sax lines. Now there are a lot of songs on this record that I enjoy and for the most part I really get a lot out of the odd personality of this record too, however this album is not without its flaws. Sometimes to my ears the vocals do come off a bit too campy, a bit overacted. The drums, strings, and vocals on the track Secret Thread don't come together all that tightly, or at least as tightly as I would like. Some of the drum fills, especially toward the start of Dirty Desert Dreams, a little rough. Overall, I think this thing is pretty good, but there are a handful of cuts on here that seem too enamored in their own mystical vibe to follow through with a full, complete, or coherent song, or even deliver an effective performance. Not really anything I thought was overtly terrible on this record, but still a good chunk of tracks that did leave me wanting more. I don't think this album is going to be for everybody, but if you are someone who uh, loves their music to lean heavy on character, and you're feeling a little odd and a little adventurous, I would give this a shot. I am feeling a decent seven on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Little Sims record, Grey Area. This is the latest full-length album from British rapper Little Sims, who was turning heads back in 2015 with her breakthrough album, A Curious Tale of Trials and Persons. Featuring the amazing single Dead Body, which is a great intro to Little Sim's music, if if you are unfamiliar with her work. She quickly followed this record up with a more ambitious and instrumentally dense release in 2016 Stillness in Wonderland. A record that was more fully realized than its predecessor, but somehow more underwhelming. Though I did still appreciate the versatile blend of grime and jazz rap, as well as R&B laced throughout this album. So up until this point, I've been more in Intrigued, then blown away when it's come to Little Sim's music. But I knew this new album was coming, and I was super impressed by one of the lead singles to this thing, Boss. A funky and spacious but aggressive track with this shrill, ear-shattering, screamed chorus. Stop fucking with my heart! Bold, bold, bold verses where Sims just sounds nice on the mic. <laughs> nice. She just has this incredible attitude and energy and flow like she's just spent all this time competitively rapping or just like constantly throwing bars in its ciphers and, and now she's just like this well-oiled rap machine dropping tons of clever quotables. Stayed in my own lane, never sidetracked. I self-serve, let me prep it, let me dice that. You little rodents went and fell into my mice trap and you <laughs> you can send a tis i'll never write back i also love the kind of glitchy embellishments throughout this stark and simple beat there's also this wonderful i am woman hear me roar kind of ethos to the track and honestly it gets to the root of what makes hip-hop what it is the attitude and delivery the lyricism the competitive spirit so i went into this new album hoping i was going to get more tracks that were equally impressive bold that were to the point and also served as strong proclamations of who little sims is as an artist the opening track on this thing offense is exactly that with more grimy bass crispy drums lots of ambient noise around all of that and bars tougher than a burnt steak jay-z on a bad day shakespeare on my worst days i said it with my chest and i don't care who i offend so many tracks on this thing just feel like the musical equivalent to little sims rolling in with a tank, and like, this is me, this is what I'm doing, I'm not gonna apologize for it. After a few hard intro tracks, the album does mellow out but does not lose its flavor in the process. The tracks Selfish and Wounds both offer some pretty smooth and sweet guest singers. In fact, there is actually not another featured rapper on this entire album, it's all guest singers. Whether you're talking about Clio Soul, or contemporary reggae artist Kronix, or Swedish art pop and electropop band Little Dragon, singer-songwriter Michael Kawanika actually ends up on the last track here. But to get back to the song Selfish, it is a very groovy and sensual track, backed with pianos and strings. And the track is about desire, and attraction, and wanting someone to all to yourself. By comparison, the song Wounds has a similar instrumental backdrop but a much drearier composition and it's essentially a cautionary track about weighing the benefits of leading a life of crime for the glory of it, idolizing gun-toting rappers, while also getting to the heart of what drives these factors, emotionally anyway. The self-hate, the feeling that no one cares, the peer pressure. After this, the quality production and lyrics on this album keep coming. Even though this is not a concept album, there is a very strong instrumental theme to this record. I love how Stark, again I'll use the word Stark, every beat on this thing is. It's not super dense or lush or layered or anything like that which is a bit of a trend away from all the trippy trap beats we hear in every corner of hip hop right now. Rather Little Sims opts for a handful of key but very bold sounds in each instrumental. And occasionally throughout these tracks you will hear some dramatic strings, some jazzy embellishments that are maybe a little T-Pab inspired, some reverbs or echoes or vocal distortions that feel like they're coming out of the Kanye West catalog. the space, the string sections, and the super speedy flows that Sims delivers on the track Venom. I'm also pretty enamored with the cute and nostalgic 101 FM, where Sims takes a a bit of a walk down memory lane over these cute Far East synth melodies, and the references from her past that she picks up are so endearing, whether it's making beats or playing Mortal Kombat or... Uh, just, like, rapping on the radio. Sims switches the mood of the album big time on the track Pressure, with these chilly, ghostly group vocals haunting the track's very spacious mix. The sad pianos and organic drums and pulsating chords all make for very nice touches in the instrumental. And lyrically, Sims is referencing a variety of different pressures she feels bombarded by at any given time. The black experience, a cheating ex, or this pressure to succeed. From Pressure we go to... (laughs) therapy which does make me kind of think there is an ingenious way that sims sequenced the songs on this album and this track is essentially about unwinding having outlets having the ability to deal with and wrestle with your emotional demons and i guess the lack of fulfillment, and utility that she gets out of therapy and, and not feeling like she needs saving. Lyrically, the song "Sherbet Sunset also feels like it's continuing a narrative of some sort as this track dives deeply into uh, the the failed relationship that Sims bitterly references in a handful of bars prior to this track. So now she's going into the mistreatment, the deception, how emotionally invested she was in this relationship, saying what a waste of chemistry, energy, and empathy. Wonder when you plan to let me know about her pregnancy. You have no integrity, emotion, or respect for me. Clearly wasn't meant to be. This is all temporary. This is the clearest I've seen it. Was bound to end eventually. It still hurts tremendously. Can't bear the intensity." At one point saying in the song that she had this person worked into or would have this person worked into her Grammy speech. It would be amazing if this album got a Grammy. The closing track, Flowers, is a very soulful send-off to this tight and short but potent album. While it's not the most cutting edge thing I've ever heard, and I am left wanting a little bit more when it's over, there's not really a single point on this album where Sims falters to any great degree. Lil Sim's verses are thoughtful and enjoyable throughout her performances, are incredible. The instrumentals are well put together and groovy and tasteful. I love that she's able to successfully wear her influences so clearly on her sleeve without necessarily copying them to the point where she loses her own identity. I love the myriad of emotions and feelings and experiences explored throughout this album too. I think the flow is great. I love that it is so consistent. Seriously, this is a really great album. Again, I am left wanting more after listening to this thing. There are definitely some topics on this record I think Sims could have dove a bit more deeply into and maybe got some more profound statements out of. I guess what I'm saying is there's definitely room for ambition to improve the wow factor of what Sims is doing because if only she could have had the the instrumental beauty and the density of stillness in wonderland but come through the record that is as hard-hitting and as uh just like fireworks as this still though i think sims really outdid herself on this album and essentially reset the bar for uk hip-hop in the modern era i'm feeling a decent two strong nine on this album hey buddy It's track review. It is track review time. Schoolboy Q of Top Dog Entertainment of Black Hippie fame. He is back. Brand new single. Album on the way. Last time we heard from Schoolboy in an album capacity was his 2016 Blank Face LP. Not my favorite record of his, honestly. I prefer Oxymoron by a long shot. Uh, a lot of people seem to disagree, but, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, because regardless, I am excited for a new album from him. Uh, the title of this new track is Num Num <laughs> Juice, which uh, is interesting enough on its own. Let's give this thing a shot and see what Schoolboy is offering this time around. Is he going to be going... Crazy raw in your face to the point blunt, or will he be uh, continuing in the uh, kind of experimental path that he set on blank face? Uh, let's let's give it a try and, and see what's going on. Num num juice, ba bam. Okay. Num Num Juice, 154, kind of a tight track, not a whole lot to it. Uh, Thought the instrumental was a little basic for a trap beat, though I did kind of like those uh, very ominous and heavy, you know, bell ringing dong that sort of were ringing out through the track. Uh, again, rhythmically, the percussion here just feels pretty straightforward and plain for a trap beat though again, it, it's pretty raw, it hits pretty hard. It's got a decent groove and momentum to it. Uh, really the standout on the track and I guess this should be the case is schoolboy himself. His performance on this track is okay as far as flow goes, but believe me guys, you've you've heard, these kinds of flows on these kinds of beats already. I would say that the only spot where he really kind of like switched it up and surprised me was uh, in the second leg where he really started talking like this and (laughs) actually delivered some of the uh, most fiery bars at that point in the song. It's, it's kind of funny. Recently we did a let's argue where somebody said that uh, uh, he essentially compared schoolboys rap style to Nicki Minaj's and for whatever reason at that point in the song that's instantly... Uh, where my mind went, but not in a bad way or anything. You know, he just had a very, like, amped delivery that I thought was pretty great and attention-grabbing. A lot of violent rhetoric in the song, a lot of threats, a lot of, uh, you know, if you test me, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other thing. Uh, So pretty grimy, pretty nasty, uh, pretty mean lyrics. And with Schoolboy, his voice, his delivery, he's got a nasty junkyard dog Style. So anything mean-spirited this dude says, it just like you know has teeth automatically, and and that's very much the case on on this song. As far as uh, I, I guess the tune here goes, uh, again pretty scant as it's. Kind of a short song, and not that you can't build a worthwhile song in this span of time, but a lot of the time on this track is just spent delivering these bloody, bloody, bloody bars. The handful of refrains that he did have on this track where he's saying a variety of different things are... Shit, were okay. It was a nice palate cleanser in between verses, but didn't necessarily blow me away as like a chorus or anything. So I'm feeling relatively positive toward this track as of right now. I think it's got a great energy to it. It's definitely got my interests peaked, even though it's not the best songwriting that I've heard on a Schoolboy Q song so far. If he brings multiple tracks with this same nasty tooth clenched attitude it could make for a pretty decent record not that i'm really expecting that though because every schoolboy q project up until this point has been pretty varied and most likely whatever he has coming out around the corner uh, will have quite a bit of variety to it i asked you on social media yesterday in in a short poll with a few options i wish the options could have been more detailed maybe provide six different fields or whatever but uh, how often do you find yourself agreeing with my reviews? I saw somebody make their own little straw poll of this, uh, like on the Fantano Forever subreddit, which link to that down below as well. Join over there if you can. It's very fun. Uh, we got a lot of good memes. <laughs> um, and uh, it came out to exactly this same ratio of votes pretty much, even though it had much fewer people. Um I'm assuming this is an accurate display of my audience's sentiments on this question. Uh, We have essentially 31,000 votes here, and uh, the options were, how often do you find yourself agreeing with my reviews? Never, sometimes, most of the time, and, uh, and always. So always came out at 2%, which I find interesting because often there is this stereotype online of... Anthony Fantano fans they're crazy. They think everything he says is God's word and uh, they shove his opinions down everybody else's throats and so on and so forth and blah blah blah. blah. And and listen, every fan base of everything has a select few of of individuals <laughs> who are a little overboard when it comes to their passion for that thing and and hey, regardless of whether or not you fit into that category, thank you for your your viewership. That, you know, I appreciate it. But only 2%. In fact, More people voted for always or rather less people voted for always than never. There are more people watching me who, in their own opinion, never agree with anything that I say (laughs) than there are people who always agree with with what I say. And you would assume, given I I think what uh, a lot of people who insult, you know, uh, not just me but this current wave of of YouTube music reviewers, uh, you would think – that the only reason people watch us is so that they can copy our opinions and we can just tell them what to think and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. So if if that were in fact the case, you would have to assume that more than half the time that these people have to be agreeing with everything that we're saying and literally all they're doing is just like watching us to uh, essentially just have their opinions handed over to them and just be told what to think and what to listen to and so on and so forth. But In fact, uh, we have more votes for only some of the time than we do most of the time. So if I'm asking you if you're agreeing with me most of the time, that's over 50% of the time. Uh, I have to assume that only sometimes uh, will probably be uh, less less than that since you did have the most of the time option. So only some of the time, and I presume this is probably the case for most of uh, the viewers for other YouTube channels as well. Uh, who review music, Uh, only some of the time are you actually agreeing with the things that we say. So look, I've I've said this before in uh, live engagements and and that sort of thing. When I've been asked this question, I've probably spoken about it numerous times online and social media uh, if if it seems to come up. Music discussion, which I think uh, music reviewing has very much evolved into now. It's no longer this Uh, entirely this top-down thing. It's no longer this gatekeeper thing. Uh, Opinions on music and popularity uh, of a particular artist in music is very much democratized now, uh, thanks to social media thanks to streaming. It's not a perfect system. You still do have sections of Spotify and Apple Music that only certain artists have access to on the front page. And if you uh, have a certain amount of hype or attention going into your record, uh, you're more likely to uh, make it over there. If you're on a label, you're more likely to make it over there. There are tons of independent and obscure artists who, uh, unfortunately, are never going to get that exposure, even if their music is good and they deserve it. Because of all this democratization and because uh, you don't have programmers and music reviewers and and journalists essentially deciding for you what is good and what is worthwhile, uh, because you do have different avenues to discover music on your own more freely and without the uh, uh, influence of traditional media, if you so choose, uh, even though it is very easy for traditional media to just kind of hand down to you uh, what you should be listening to. and And I myself don't see it as an inherent evil at this point because I think that it uh, allows you to just kind of keep in touch with what's popular and what's relevant, which is not necessarily a bad thing to at least be conscious of that stuff to know where trends are moving and, and what contemporary music is sounding like. The point I'm trying to make because I keep digressing is that With all of the options that you guys have out there as far as information and albums and and voices in the music reviewing community, with all the options that you have, you are no longer in a position where I I think you are are most likely to take everything that I tell you as doctrine. Okay, so having said all that, if it's not about agreement, if it's not about me telling you what to think and telling you what to like and then you automatically liking it right after – what is this whole music reviewing thing about what, is the point. The point is music appreciation and music discussion and some kind of engagement in music culture because music culture does not stop and end at the beginning and the finish of an album. It sort of lasts beyond that. It's at the live events. It's online on forums. It's all over social media. It's in the discussion. It's in the debates. It's in the comparisons. It's in everything the fans do to show appreciation for and gain a greater appreciation of whatever it is they're passionate about out. And reviewing and talking about what about the music you love so much, what makes it tick, what makes it special to you, that's a part of the experience. And I would hope that through what I do, I encourage you guys not to think what I think and agree with everything that I say, But rather, figure out what it is exactly about your favorite albums, your favorite artists, your favorite songs that you like so much. What makes them special to you? I would especially hope that I encourage you guys to do that when you are conflicted and uh, essentially handed an opinion by me uh, that you disagree with. I say some album that you love is total crap and it's garbage and it's the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, But you sort of flip that a little bit in your own head and think, well, wait a second, all those things that he said are awful about the album, those are things that I appreciate about it. And on top of it, I feel like he didn't bring up this element and this element and this other element. Maybe those are things that don't stick out to me and that's why I didn't bring them up. But I would hope that through what I do, you are thinking a little bit more about what it is you love so much about the music that you like. So honestly, I I just wanted to talk about that a little bit and also share these poll results and, and share that I am very... Happy and pleased with these poll results, frankly, because I'd much rather be in a position where I'm thinking of the music that I'm listening to critically and then you guys are thinking about what I'm saying to you critically than, you know, whatever I say to you, you just like just eat it up and it's spoon fed to you and it's just blah, blah, blah. Yes, the album you said is good is good. There's nothing really gratifying to me about being in that position. For the most part, I think we're at the point that we're at as a YouTube channel, as a brand, as a community, uh, because we're doing our best to, uh, you know, give bold and honest and upfront opinions, but also respect one another's tastes and opinions. Because, look, at the end of the day, Uh, no matter who I've given a negative review to. uh, I don't harbor necessarily any mean or nasty or or hateful feelings toward that person. And if you like that album, if you like that artist, if that's your favorite freaking album under the sun, that's whatever, you know, because uh, who am I to dictate (laughs) what it is that you like? Sure, I make fun of things, uh, I like to have fun. I like to have a laugh. Uh, but look, I'm I'm not here to bully anybody uh, for enjoying X, Y, or Z. I'm not here intentionally trying to ruin anybody's day over their music preferences. Okay. Boom. And that is going to be it for this episode of The Needle Drop Podcast. Thank all of you for listening. Hope you're having a good one. Make sure to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. Helps out the show quite a bit. Also, hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash theneedledrop and A Fantano on Instagram. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash theneedledrop, youtube.com slash fantano. For more content, do not miss a single piece of content that we put out week to week. Theneedledrop.com is also good for that as well. And we will see you guys in the next episode of the podcast. Shout out to Jonah for assembling this episode as well as he does every single episode of the podcast. And you're the best. Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop Podcast, forever.